Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Jennifer John, the founder of Series, the food and well-being PR and marketing business. Jennifer and I met over 20 years ago. We can't remember where first as it was so long ago and there are so many places that our paths have crossed. We think that we could be related as we are so likely to have similar feelings or opinions about things. I really value her opinion and years of experience and enjoy meeting her for a meal and to put the world to rights quite regularly. Let me introduce you. Good morning. Lovely to get a chance to have a chat with you. And likewise. How do you describe your job to other people? Well, that's such a good question. And I have been trying to describe it to my family for more years than I care to remember. But I think in essence, we work, essentially, we're all about the food industry from one end of the the food chain to the other but in essence we're all about helping businesses promote their reputation manage their reputation build brand awareness the PR industry in only 20 something years that you know we've been running serious has changed so dramatically the space has changed so dramatically what was PR 20 years ago is not what PR is today but essentially in in an essence it's all about actually making sure that we are telling the brand story in whatever way that that needs Brilliant, which has, as you say, widened out phenomenally. And I mean, I know on site you've got your own kitchens and photography studios and all kinds of things that you were involved in, but in a very different way to how to how you're involved in them now. So, in, yeah, um, indeed. I mean, people talked about uh, 360 integrated campaigns. You know, it tends to be an overused phrase, but I think in essence, that's what good PR is these days. You don't use every element on every campaign, clearly. But, you know, these days, as you, as you say, you know, we have a digital team, we have our own test kitchen, we have our own creatives, you know, all, everything that we perhaps 20 years ago, you might have outsourced the bits that existed yeah. because, of course, let's face it, websites 20 years ago were quite cutting edge if you had a website. I, before I left Discovery Foods some years ago, the, one of the last things I did for them was attend a course, which was whether or not it was worth having a website. <laughs> and I, I, th- I think that was about 25 years ago. So, I mean, it just shows you, doesn't it? Fortunately, we decided it was because, <laughs> you know, but I mean, it is amazing that people even question that because it's, and I think it's for smaller companies, it is such an amazing thing that we have that and we have social media because it makes them, it makes it easier for them to communicate, although you can still get it wrong and you need to make sure that what you're communicating is the right stuff. But um I, I think, you know, it gives them so many more ways of reaching out to to their end consumers 
to their buyers, everybody. Do you- I, absolutely. And, and like, like you, I can remember when social really started coming along and we're sort of tentatively talking to clients about perhaps you, you, need, you need to look at this as a way of reaching, engaging your audience and people saying to us, well, is, is, is it worth it? I would still say today we question everything that we do we, we, to make sure that the audience is right the channel yes. is right that the messaging everything else is right and if you're going to do it we do it properly this still can be too much of a sort of scattergun approach so it, it is hard to be at the quality of that engagement um and it's not the cheapest thing to do either if you're going to do it well so it well. is it's, it's important to understand what it needs you know if you've got promotional budget you're going to have content you know all of that needs to be taken into consideration so yeah. it's, it's it's a it's not complicated but it needs thinking about yeah and and managing and also joining because i mean so often you can see a great campaign done but some of the information that then that sets people looking for isn't in the best format for them or something i yesterday saw um somebody cooking on sunday brunch on the telly and liked the look of the recipe went to find it and found screeds of people getting really annoyed because it's so difficult to find the Sunday brunch recipes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just and, the and then things, it says, isn't it? They're on this link and then you eventually... And honestly, I spent an hour and I thought, that is just ridiculous because... <laughs> and then got the recipe and thought, oh, that's in it. I didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. But, you know, I mean, it, it is. It's got to be slick. It's got to be easy for people to do because most people wouldn't spend an hour. But I was just determined at that point and thinking this is a real mess and I've got to do it. But, I mean, the amount of bad messaging out there about the fact that that programme stuff's not available. And then it said... It was always on Simon Rimmer's website, which it had been until two years ago when he obviously stopped doing it mm. and somebody else put it somewhere else and they just hadn't joined yeah, the dots. It's, just, it's so. the little things that can frustrate people. But, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as remembering if you're doing, if you're, you're a retailer, you're tagging in the right people. It's just, yes. it's, it's the little things sometimes, you know, as you say, if you, we're all consumers, we go on and we, we're, we're on, whether it's on an Instagram page or wherever it is, you know, we expect that information to be there and we expect it to be easily accessible, easy to find. It's just the way the world is these That's days. It. It is. Yeah. And and that can be at whatever time of day or night somebody goes looking for it too, which is the the other reason why it's just easier if it all joins together, because then it doesn't fall over if there isn't somebody on the end of the phone or that sort of thing. So, yeah. Now, you and I have both worked with food the whole way through our careers. When did you first know that home economics was what you wanted to do, that food was what you wanted to do. Can you remember when you first? I was thinking about it, knowing that we, you were going to or likely to ask me that question this morning. Um, I did home economics, or I think it was food technology when I did it at O-level, she says, showing her age. And then I did home economics at A-level. But even at that point, I wasn't quite sure. And then I decided that I wanted a career that involved people. I also liked the sort of the business side of things. And, and I really wanted a career about communication. So I looked at all the different options and I hit upon the course that was, was then at Sheffield Poly. And it seemed to give me everything and still kept all my options, options open. open. But I was still toying um, in the early years when I was at college with with a career in retail. I actually sort of went through mm. for one of the big retail chains for management. I ended up 
actually starting retail management training with one one of the big retailers and then a job came up as a home economist or thinking those days they were home service advisors for what was then Southern Gas and something in me said read the description read the job advert and thought no no this is what I want to do. do. So I I left my management training, retail management training, and and joined British Gas as a home economist. And that's when that part of it started. But even as a home economist, every job I've ever had has been attached to the marketing teams. And that's what led me from, so I suppose, being involved with marketing teams to actually going straight into PR. Yep. That all makes sense. And I can understand those roots and and those jobs. It's amazing, isn't it? Because those jobs don't exist anymore either. Those home service advisor type roles or there used to be people in B-jams as Mm. it was before it became Iceland that would tell you what freezer to buy and how to freeze food at home and things. And so many of, of those people have gone at a time too when schools often don't teach those skills in schools to anybody now. You know, it's it's a big hole. It is. I find it really sad at a time when health and well-being, which is obviously so closely connected to food, has never been more important. You know, looking after ourselves, self-care has never been so important that mm. there are still too many people that basically don't have the simplest knowledge. I mean, yeah, yeah, retailers do a great job about, you know, food is easy and ready to prepare, but actually understanding some simple basics can actually save people money and help them with their, their actual well-being. So, yes, I, I, I can remember being on the Institute of Consumer Sciences, it then was on the board trying to, to lobby government to make sure yes. that home economics was protected for that very reason. And that's a good few years ago now. I hear that Marcus Waring has spoken out about it not being taught in schools in the last few days and said, you know, that that would help fill some of the hospitality gap if people at least had a basic introduction to where their kitchen was and how to use it. Yeah, so. and just simple, simple, simple things. I, I mean, I, I spent many years actually working with teams and I was I did a lot of work in schools and actually going in and just helping, you know, as a teenager maybe even understand mm. how you peel an onion is it, you know, mm-hmm. You know, literally coming, somebody coming to you and saying, you know, what do I do with this mess, please? Yep. Yeah, and I know. Real basic things. At home, growing up, was there a lot of cooking and baking and... It was funny. I was, I was, um, I, when I'm, I'm thinking back to, to the interview you did with Simon recently, I, I mm. felt like he and I were in parallel universes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mothers who did great roast dinners and then, you know, whatever you had roast, you always had cold and then inevitably there would be something like a cottage pie or a shepherd's pie. So good basic home cooked yeah. food because the ready meals weren't simply there. And I would say my mother was a, a good competent cook, but a very good baker. I, yes. A lemon meringue pie is still something that I would put as one of my top 10 desserts ever. Oh, isn't that lovely? And yeah. so I suppose I, 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 I learned to love baking and, it, and I, I, I baked and she encouraged baking from a really young age. I was allowed in the kitchen to, to bake and to dabble from probably yep. the age of seven or eight. You know, I was just you know, if you want to go so bake a cake, go bake a cake. Gaining that confidence. Yeah. yeah which yeah. is fantastic, isn't it? That's that's important. What kind of first impressions do you think you give people when you meet them? Oh, you probably she, should answer that. She says having <laughs> met her so many times. I know. Mm, I hope friendly. I hope 
interested. I love people. And one of the reasons I love what I do and at Series, you know, we work with some incredible brands, people, clients, organizations. And I just love hearing those stories. You know, I went to to, to BBC Good Food on Thursday, just to have a nosy yes. really, because obviously it's the first time you know, any of us have been allowed out and had some f- <laughs> fab chats with, with all sorts of different producers and just hearing their stories. So I hope people would see friendly, approachable, that we're genuinely interested, um, in, in, engaged, probably, mm. probably a bit bossy too. Good. If you if you know if you know what needs to be done, it's hard not to help people. I just, my excuse is I, I come from a long line of teachers. I think I'm the, I, I think I think we're the first generation in about three not to be a teacher. So not to be go. a teacher. Yeah. Oh bless. But I I would also say that you're a very encouraging person. You know, you and I have spoken when one or other of us knows that somebody's mm. looking for a job and is trying to help somebody get the right work experience and things, and so. I, I think, you know, that's something. And, and also, I would think you come across as very knowledgeable. You're oh, not, thank you. <laughs> you know, you're um, not um, mm. talking for the sake of hearing your voice. You're very measured about what you say, but but you know your subject because you've been in it for a long time. I do, do think it's you're Im- very passionate yeah. about it. And I, like you, I do think it's really important that we encourage the next generation. You know, we're, we'll, yeah. you know, frequently offer interns experience, you know, a couple of weeks or I'll talk to people on the phone if they're not sure because, yep. you know, it's, it is so important and it's quite bewildering, the food industry, isn't it? You know, even it PR is. is, you know, who knows whether they want to do PR. And how know? wide PR is and and what that could encompass depending on whether you're internal, external, where you are. Mm. You know, I mean, it is. It's very, I always think to people's impression of I work in the food industry is handing over fries at McDonald's. And even then they miss all the other stuff that McDonald's do that would be great for them. And the fact that just all the structure and organisation that a business like that has could teach you a lot. But I think people always think working in the food industry means wearing a hairnet, whereas you could be a creative and do packaging design in the food industry and you might never touch a piece of food. If you're a tech person, there are great opportunities for you, you know, within the industry as well. If you're an accountant, I mean, like like most industries, it covers a wide area so there are lots of opportunities and I think we maybe don't sell our industry well enough either and it is quite I think it's quite confusing I mean we do a lot of work with LEAF linking education linking environment and farming and you know they have an education piece which obviously covers careers within food and farming and again you know it's you know being a farmer yeah obviously can and does frequently mean being out about in the fields which pretty blooming cold I should imagine this you know this week but you know, it also means, as you say, there's a lot of science skills, a lot of different mm. different career opportunities. So I do think it's really important, that, you know, for example, the work that LEAF does to actually help educate the younger generation coming through as to the career opportunities there are right across the food chain. Yeah. Because they are so diverse and so varied. And as you say, quite often we find that people just understandably perhaps don't actually understand the scope of the opportunities out there. No. And I, I think too, I I can always remember going on a farm visit that you organised to meet potato farmers and being astounded by what they knew about the soil, the rainfall, mm. the, you know, to the day when their crop was going to be ready, all the tech that they had, because 
having grown up in the countryside around old farmers of of from a long time back, I had never seen so much, you know, such a progression, which I know they all have now and they all have, you know, far more equipment and things. But, you know, the, their knowledge and, and how, you know, just how they adjust what they're doing and everything is incredible. And I think, too, when you, I mean, during lockdown, I learned a lot more about artisan cheese by doing all sorts of courses and tastings. And then I went on a course to make cheese recently and was astounded by how much milk they gave us versus how small an amount of cheese we came home with. And I think then you understand why it costs a lot and and also have a different respect for it. And you're less likely to waste it or not use it properly or all these things, all these things you learn about how to care for things and things are so useful to all of us anyway, that I think I think it is important that people understand all that people put into putting food on their plate as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that as a nation, we need to perhaps sometimes appreciate a little bit more about what goes into our food and to value it in, in that respect um yep. and as you rightly say you know the story begins with the soil and yep. and just that that piece on its own is 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 fascinating when you actually get into it you know that's all the yeah. work yeah all the work that goes uh, into uh, making good soil and the thing too about how to be a successful country that produces its own food we need animals and vegetables not just vegetables not just you know that all of those things are dependent on each other for good soil management and things and i think you know i think that's key as well that people just understand that whole journey there's so it's, much ba- it's to all it. about balance isn't it at the end of mm. the day yeah it is yeah that's true what do you think instantly makes you different from other people <laughs> and again, I would put that back to you. Um, <laughs> um, I suppose it depends who you're talking to. Yeah, I have, you know, if there's a friend, I would hope that I'm as loyal as all my other friends and I'm as, as much of a listener and a caring as all of those. So um, in terms of what I do professionally, I suppose perhaps there are very few PRs that have as much food experience as as we do at series collectively and individually so from a professional perspective you know when we talk to clients about PR we are bringing with it a knowledge of the industry a proper knowledge of the industry and I like to think that that is a differentiator at a professional obviously there are plenty of other people out who've done you know food but you know certainly for for we do come across you know, people who maybe have have don't have as much experience within properly within food and understanding food, and that to us is really important. And you have really gone from farm to fork. Yeah, absolutely, abs- absolutely, and we make it our business. And because I think we were really interested, you know. So <laughs> if I get if I yes. get a new client and they say, you know, and I, you know, do you want to come out and have a look around the farm and see how X is being produced? Yes, please. You know, that's yeah. re- that's really important. So you know, over the well, years, well, it's like you going to BBC Good Food Show last week for a look. Mm, yeah, you just, know, just to see what's out you, there. You did it because you wanted to see what was going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And always, always when we take on a new client, one of the highlights for me is getting under the skin of that business, understanding that business, understanding how a product is made, under, understanding its backstory, just because genuinely it's interesting. 
Yeah. And I think I think that's for me what I really love um, and why, you know, I'm still doing this, you know, 20 something years later is because you literally yeah. learn every day. And I love that. And, and also because everybody you're dealing with is different. And so you're learning different stuff all the mm. time. You're no, you are tailoring what you offer to individual clients, which means you've got a huge breadth of yeah, and it's all about sharing going on too. I mean, yeah. I don't know about you, but we, you know, we've talked about this many times about the sharing of knowledge and experience, yep. and I do think that's really important. Obviously, you're not going to share secrets, but you no. know, it is it is about us supporting one another. And you know, if you've got some insight that might help somebody, then you absolutely use it because and it helps your client mm. too. Then mm. that's it. You know, yeah. that's what I would always say is I would never tell anybody something unless. I thought it was mutually beneficial for both people yeah. to understand the other person's point of view. But that means you can you can help other people a lot too. And I mean, I, you know, I will call you and say, what would your opinion of this be? Or have you seen this? Have you, has anyone talked to you about this? Have you, you know, are you seeing other people doing that? It's really good to get somebody else's Yeah, it's just really opinion. important. I think that's always important, isn't it? You know, you can have an opinion, but you need to understand, you need to hear and listen to what other people who have the knowledge and, and, you, and who you respect, you know, you don't, you know, asking for other people who know more than you do. I remember hearing Lord Kilimore, founder of Cobra, mm. talking once and saying that somebody asked him what the secret of his success was. And he said, always employ people who know more than you do. And mm. I thought, that, you know, what a lovely thing to say. He and said, not be afraid yeah. to do that. Yeah. And yeah. You know, he said, you know, I'm surrounded by people who know more than I do about all sorts of things. You know, I and I thought that I, was a lovely thing to say. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely think that that is very wise. Mm. I also think being external, so not being just based in one client mm. is a great thing because you see what other people are doing. You see things that are moving in other places. Whereas I know, you know, when I was based inside a poultry producer, I could filter everything. So all I was taking in was information about poultry or, mm. you know, one thing. And I think what what one client tells you about something may apply to another client's business, but you'd never have known that if you hadn't been working with multiple people. So I also think it it is useful for our clients that we work across several rather than just one. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's quite good to have a sort of subjective because you know, if you, if it's particularly, if, you know, when you're talking about small producers, you get, you're obviously, and rightly, you're really passionate about your product. But sometimes you do mm. need an objective view, whether it's the packaging, whether it's something about the product. You yep. do need to be, have somebody to say, well, have you thought of X? You know, yeah. sometimes, or, you know, I don't think it is massively unique or I, I recently got sent product from Malaysia and they said to me, oh, no, no, it's not really that one. We just put mm. that in. It's really this one because we know nobody has it. And I said, I think I can tell you five mm. brands off the top of my head. They're already in our market. You know, so sometimes people's perception of which thing people are going to be interested mm. in or or what element of their product people will be interested in isn't necessarily the the right one. So it's useful to have external. Yes, yeah, just about informing them so they have as much information as they can possibly have to, so they make the best decisions, basically. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. With whatever budget they have yeah, and all of those exactly. things. So you make you make the best use of it. No, I think that's good. Um, role models. Who do you think you've learned from? 
Now, what I always say here is if you've learned good things from somebody, you're allowed to say who they are. If somebody showed you something you never want to do to anyone else, then I think it's just good to say what the experience was, but not who the person was. So, I think generally I would say I learn from everybody else every day. I think that's really mm-hmm. important, whether it can be something tiny or something massive. But I think in terms of role models, so it's just generally along the, along the way, people that you, you, you say you see people and you say, well, actually, I think that's a great way of doing that. I'll store that. And then maybe even that's not such a great way. So I'll also store that and learn from it. I, um, yeah. Probably yeah. in terms of work ethic, both my parents, very different. My mother was a teacher, you know, who was probably one of the first people to teach herself how to use the computer when you know it was unheard of or for a middle you know middle-aged woman to be trying to teach you know kids on the computer yeah and my father probably for his entrepreneurial you know work loved his work lived for his work so I yep. think the combination of the two albeit they were incredibly different individuals probably both fed into who I of am course. today and your dad doing what he did showed you that that was a possibility or an option. Whereas um, I yeah, think, yeah, and, he, and he enjoyed it. I think that was the mm. big, the big thing. He he enjoyed it. And um, I, but what what I've discovered quite interestingly is that on his side of the family, having done a little bit of family tree, is that mm. actually we go back multi generations in terms of as a family of working for ourselves, which is quite interesting, which I didn't know about when I started the business. So I think that I think all of that, because I think work ethic and looking after others is something that was kind of ingrained into me from a really, really early age. And then just as I say, pretty much every day, I, you know, I, I learn what, what I could do better, what I knew skills, knew everything really. I know. And I mean, we do live in a world that is constantly changing. Even if you look back five years ago, how you do things now has changed mm. so much. And and I don't doubt we will keep evolving. Yeah, I think. And I've worked, I've worked with some, you know, really inspirational clients over the years. I um, I was asked recently a similar question and I, and I look at people like Michelle, you know, with all the th- work mm. that she's done in the free from space, you know, the fact that, you know, I have, you know, I have a family of celiacs and lactose intolerance, mm. you know, and, you know, the fact that they can, you know, have as, as, as options some really good free from foods is, is really down to all the pioneering work that she did, you know. Michelle Berrydale, yeah. because she found that her dairy intolerant son had nowhere to go virtually 40 odd years ago. I mean, it is. And and all the people since who have campaigned to make labelling better and mm. clearer and and there is still work to be done. I was recently eating with my brother who yeah. is also celiac and he, we went to a place where they've got a lot of gluten-free stuff on the menu and we were having a chat with them and discovered that some gluten-free products were being put in a deep fat fryer mm. that other stuff went in. And the guy said, but the oil's at 350 degrees. And we said, which doesn't matter a jot. Um, and Dave said, I've wondered a couple of times here if somebody had given me beer that wasn't gluten-free by mistake, because I've had a a bit of a, a dodgy stomach the next day. And he said, now I know it's that. And we spent ages trying to explain to them. And honestly, 
they didn't get it. Yeah. They, they said, oh, well, it's such a small number of people. We said, well, actually, we came here because you've got it written all over your menu. You know, it's really important that you get it right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Incredible. I've come across that, that option a few times myself. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. And I, I was saying I had been at Tip Tree a couple of years ago talking to the tea room team. And they had brought in a member of staff from the office who spoke about having been somewhere where she'd had something or I think even one day in the office they were sampling things and she'd said can I have this and they said yes and then somebody phoned from the kitchen to say the gravy has flour in it don't touch it and she'd got it to her lip but not in her mouth Mm. and she stopped and she had four days off Mm. Because of that. And that's the thing. People don't know how severely, how easily. But she also spoke then about how much that eats away at your confidence, how you wouldn't want to go out for a long time because you're just nervous about it. You know, and I think I think people have still unbelievably to understand all the ins and outs of what that does to somebody. Yes, I think it's just also about helping people understand the difference between gluten intolerance and celiac. And as you say, that if you say or somebody who just chooses not to eat wheat because they think that that's their form of form of of. Yeah, they're entitled to. But it is a it, it is but is a difference. It, it it does but yeah so I think definitely Michelle would be somebody who I would think yeah. is a bit of a food hero because just think she's done so much for so many really yeah yep. no I think I think that's that's very that's a good one who do you admire in business who do you think in business has um I think generally people I like if I'm dealing with people I like people who are ethical transparent You'd hope successful, but, you know, in the first instance, you want people to be doing it. And I'm lucky that we work with some, as I say, some great clients and have worked and do work with some great people who you know, demonstrate all of those skills. Um, I suppose and people who keep trying. So for a few years, we worked with uh, a lady who, who ran her, she was a children's food brand called and Jane, Jane Hines. And I, somebody like her who's very tenacious as well. Yes. I think that's, I, I like, but also has retained a sense of humour. <laughs> Do you know? Very important. It's so yeah. it is so yeah. important. It is so important, isn't it? You, um, I, I always admire passion, knowledge, and a sort yep. of general, generally good be- business ethics. But absolutely, please, please keep your sense of humour because that's what needs we need to get through the day. You do. There needs to be a bit of everything, doesn't there? Yeah. It does, and that's what makes entrepreneurs so so interesting too because mm. of all those characteristics that are in them what would you say if I said too much of something is never enough what would that something be too much of something is never enough either a very very good dark chocolate or a very mm. very good cheese as long as there was a bit of bread on the side yeah good we sound good simple too. Very simple. Yeah, oh, yeah. Simple yeah. food, well done. Yeah. Nothing like it, is there? I, a lot of us have butter on that list. <laughs> it's like, what, what do you mean too much butter? Never too much butter. <laughs> would you like more? Of course I would. <laughs> oh, dear. What, what have you done that has really made you step out of your comfort zone that when you look back now, you think... I really wouldn't, you know, if I'd seen it on a piece of paper 20 years ago, I might not have thought I'd do that. 
Well, perhaps even just starting series, maybe. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something I had on my life plan. I mean, I had done other things. My career had gone in other directions. So perhaps actually doing that and having the confidence to believe I could do it and make it work. I think probably yep. those first couple of years, you know, you kept yep. having to look around. And certainly when we when we moved into the offices, when we started series, um, my first business partner and I, you know, she was in a room in her house and I was in a room in my house. And I remember when we moved into the offices we've been in here now, my goodness, coming up for 20 years. I it's do amazing, remember the partitions weren't in and I do remember standing with um, one of my team and we were laughing so hard because you could have had a jolly good game of football and yes. the, the landlady came and she said are, are you two both all right are you okay and we just said you know we, you know currently we're all squished into you know you know one end, one, one end of my room <laughs> and here you are and we've just got this amazing space we're just we're just taking on and it just feels slightly surreal so yes, I think perhaps that the very first time yeah. you sign the lease for your first business having, premises, having the courage to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think probably that you know that very first lease you sign. No, I think I think that that's fair, and I think a lot of people would think that. And it's when you when you have to think to how long do you want to sign a lease mm. for? You know, and, and and food producers go through the same. You know, if you're going to make a place fit to produce your food. You want to have enough space, but you probably don't want to be paying for twice what you need. But at what point will you need more? Where can you get it and things? It is. It's a big commitment. It was a big commitment. We were we were lucky in that, as it happened, the space when we found it had been a vacant a little while, and we were, you know, we we were able to take all of it for a good. We had a good deal, and we've been really happy here, and it 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 really suits Mm. us. And then the super spot, and then the opportunity to expand, and you know, put in the series kitchen as well. So you know, to have everything on one side and parking outside, you know, may not have a wine bar around the corner, but you know, there's a pub down the road. (laughs) There is. There's there are a lot of good things, and and you a nice drive in as well. Mm. You know, a nice drive into work in the morning. I think is. Is, is key to what is the one thing that you've learned about yourself now that you think I wish I had clicked onto that sooner that that was a, a super skill I have maybe that I thought everybody had but now I realize not everyone has it I suppose whether it's a skill a skill that I realized I had or a strength or a strength um I think gosh that's a really difficult question because I suppose like most of us I regularly suffer from imposter syndrome so I would probably struggle to answer that question on my own I think you'd have to ask somebody else you know I think you you learn so much about yourself when you run your own business you learn things you didn't know you didn't know yes I know and I think you have incredible organizational skills and I mean not surprisingly in a communications business communication skills and those are not skills that everybody has. And I think you're very methodical about things and you think them through and therefore get everything in the right order, you know. Yeah, maybe, maybe the one thing a few years ago, back when I was working a lot with the potato industry, I got invited to go and cook live on air for a local radio mm. BBC station and never done it in my life before. And I'd done lots of demonstrating over the years, but never actually live on radio after I'd done it the the producer came down and said wow you're a natural and I said I am and he said yeah when can you come again and I then spent many happy years cooking live on radio and still do still do from time to time some radio so perhaps that would be the one thing I had no idea I could do but apparently I could 
So they tell and, me anyway. And a lot, a lot better than other people could. So yeah. Well, I, not for me to say, but yeah, certainly I was, I was enjoyed but, it. But they recognised that. Yeah. That you were at ease. Much better to yeah. do radio than TV in my book anyway. <laughs> Oh, I don't. I actually don't mind either of them, but uh, they are both very different, aren't they? So yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. I know. I've um. I've I've had a few. I was um called into Sky Television to talk about the horse meat scandal about half an hour after it broke, when nobody really knew mm. what it was, and that was a yeah. An interesting. All you can say at the time is, I believe we have a very good industry, so I am pretty sure. That if this has happened, there is a criminal element in it because somebody has gone out of their way mm. to evade all the systems and balances that are in place to make sure things like mm. this wouldn't happen. So yes, there's quite a lot, isn't it? Out I think we've true. both yeah. spoken about some quite technical technical subjects like like that, and I've spoken about acrylamide and things like that. So yes, yeah, so yep. probably the scariest one I ever did was cooking chips live on air for Woman's Hour with Jenny Murray. In Golly, studio. Yes, <laughs> that is probably to answer your first, your your previous question uh-huh. um, now would be the scariest thing I've ever done is cooking chips live on air for Jenny Murray. She was delightful. Yeah. She was absolutely yes. delightful, but it was terrifying. She just pulled uh, a leading politician limb from limb, and then I had to go into the studio, and I'm like, what? <laughs> so. I've just brought you some chips. <laughs> I know. I always say though, it's much easier to go into people with food than it might be, you know, to go in and ask them to try a new, you yeah. know, cosmetic product or something. You know, most people are pretty open to having a taste of something foodie. So it was more the timing. I had, you know, yes. this, this, you know, how precise women's are and how well run women's are yes. is. You have the number of seconds you had to start it from scratch and then deliver her hot, deep hot fried chips. chips. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I mean, you and I have come through many getting Terry Wogan something hot for his breakfast and those kind of, yeah, you'd forgotten that we had to do those kind of things. Many years of delivering, yeah, for for breakfast week for many years. Yes, indeed. (laughs) I know, all those sorts of things. So it's amazing the skill set you can give yourself as well. (laughs) Actually, funnily enough, to this week, the day that the podcast will be airing is English Breakfast Day, which when I saw that and knew that I was speaking to you, I thought was very appropriate because you have run campaigns in the past with the AHDB on breakfasts and what people eat for breakfast and where all the ingredients come from and obviously the cereals and things that were part of that. But very well-rounded campaigns, I think, that explained breakfast to people and and now obviously working with leaf on things like open farm sunday and things like that you are better in touch with a lot of the ingredients for a british english breakfast than a lot of other people might be yeah we we worked certainly when the in the 18 years we run we run breakfast week for what was hdc and then ahdb certainly we you know we from the, the sort of the farming end as you say the grain that goes into so many breakfast foods to different producers educating people about why breakfast is important you know from a nutritional perspective to the provenance perspective and as you say and run i think we're about to come up to our 17th open farm sunday for leaf um next which year is which is a campaign um you know i just love working on because it just it's so so important to actually connect people with the beginning of the story if you like yep 
and and make sure that they understand mm. how much has gone into it and that they really value what they're getting back out of it. I think that is. And also because only by people knowing that will people think, oh, I'd like to do that job. Mm. And, you know, from from a food security point of view, we need to be producing a, a lot of our yeah, own I think, food, I think so. to date we've had about 2 million people since we started Open Farm Sunday. You know, the amazing oh, farmers we work with, about 2 million people have gone through a farm gate. So it's That's brilliant, pretty good going. It? it is. It is. It's a great thing. What have you eaten recently that has excited you? Well, we just recently had a week in Cornwall and we did have a whole mm. series. Series. Yeah. Series. Series. Some amazing simple foods, you know, from really, really good gluten free fish and chips right the way through to, I suppose, the, the piesta resistance yeah. was the, um, we went to um, have a meal at the Ugly Butterfly, the Adam Handling, Carbis Bay. Mm. Um, I'm a great Adam Handling fan anyway. And so the, the, Ugly Butterfly has only been open a few weeks, but the whole concept there and the way that they using every every last scintilla of, of an ingredient and how they use even from the orange rind going into cocktails, everything is used. The, the whole approach to food waste is phenomenal. Yeah. That on one side, then the actual quality of the food and the innovation and the presentation. And then you have the the layer on top, which is the team who are phenomenal. And then the absolute icing on the cake is the location. If you've not, if you've not been, go, no. go check out Carbis Bay and the Ugly Butterfly yeah. because it is a view to eat with like no other. Oh. Um, so I think the combination there, that has to be my meal of the year. Well, probably meal of the last two years given that most of us haven't been out that much (laughs) (laughs) no that's true i know i know six months ago on the podcast this was always what have you eaten at home recently that you liked you know do one we did do one of adam handling's um, meals at home as well which was i have to say maybe not quite how he would have done it but it was pretty passable (laughs) but yes now it's definitely um the ugly butterfly and yeah. ingredients wise, what have you had recently that has excited you or what have you found in stores or worked with or? Well, we, we regularly go to um, our, our, one of our local farm shops is called Blue Tin, which just actually was one of the finalists in the Food and Farming Awards this week. So they're they're really good at working. A that they do their own phenomenal beef, and which is a sort of standard. But then they're always really good mm. about bringing in. Like there was a, there was a lovely local chocolate lady there when I went out. Was doing tastings last week, and they have some amazing cheeses. So it's all it's a sort of every every week we go, we always do a set order, yeah. and then you go and have a little potter around while you're out there to pick up your order and pick some other pick bits. some other bits yeah. up. So it's that's one of sort of my go to places to actually discover new local suppliers and producers, which is. Great isn't it mm. yeah and hear hear direct from them about their story and their business story yeah and again it's just it's just it's a really lovely way to spend the morning and they do great coffee oh good that's all essential isn't it though it it is one of those things we're lucky here that we have a farm shop right on mm. the edge of of west london where i live and they have their own wood-fired outdoor oven that mm. was a community build that they built and so on a Saturday morning, you can take the dogs up over the hills and through the woods and come back down past a very good oh. coffee, a freshly made amaretti, or possibly even a donut. But yeah. the donuts are pretty big. So I tend to do the amaretti because I reckon I have walked that many <laughs> calories off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but that's good. Um if somebody said that they were going to start a business like yours, what would you say before you get sucked into doing anything else? 
I would say make sure these things or this thing is set up right at the beginning. I, what what I, would you I say? Sometimes do a bit of mentoring and I generally ask what it is they want from that business. Yeah. It, it, it really depends what, what their expectations are. Um, I remember talking to somebody a couple of years back and they perceived it to be a softer option and <laughs> that they yeah. would be able to work their family life around it, which absolutely balance in life is and work-life balance is really, really important. But I think it is about understanding that if you are starting a business, it does require a really... A large part of you. A large part of you, especially at the beginning and a lot of commitment. And if anyone else lets you down, you're going to have to pick that bit up. Yeah, so I think that's just really understanding that people understand what it is that they're taking on and that the buck well and truly does stop with you lots of people yeah. obviously understand that and recognize that but sometimes you just come across people think you know well actually I thought I could do this because I'll be able to do this this and this as well and just be prepared for being it and, and be and also understand it can be quite lonely so it is good to find mm. other like-minded people to talk to particularly in the early days yeah. I was lucky I've always had a business partner you know and Catherine and I work you yeah. know really closely together and it is really good to have somebody to share and bounce ideas off yeah. um and I think that's, that's I why think that's really also, important. although there are a lot of people that I connect with, I, including you, you know, that, that we speak to about things and you can bounce stuff off. But I also always have a mentor mm. and somebody had said to me recently, why do you do that? And I said, apart from anything else, because I am the solo owner of mm. a business and sometimes outside of your immediate family you just need to bounce it off somebody that I think that's really important has a different perspective absolutely and and I think whilst friends and family of can be very supportive they don't off not always necessarily give the advice you need from a business perspective you need somebody who is not emotionally connected I was just going to say not not emotionally linked to it yeah Um, so I think definitely that would be sort of why, why do you want to do this in the nicest possible way? What do you want from it? Do you understand what it is going to need from you? And who are you going to talk to other than partner, friend, whatever? Because yep. you do, you find it, find yourself, as you say, a good mentor because it yep. absolutely will be really important and, and pay big dividends really for your sanity, if nothing else. Yeah. And just will highlight stuff to you. You know, it's just great when somebody else says, oh, loads of people are having that mm. issue at the moment, or a lot of people feel like that, or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it can just be a little comment from somebody, but it can be the thing that just calms you down. Absolutely. Yeah. Really important. What have you read recently? Now, this can be business book, personal development, or if it's been a novel that you read to switch off while you're off on holiday. What have you read recently that you've liked and why? When it comes to personal reading, I just tend to read really rubbish um, detective-y type books that, you know, basically they all tend to merge, if I'm honest, in one into that. I just love mm-hmm. a good detective story. So, you good. know, I've been, I've been really, I love the P.D. James piece yes so i'm just about to re read go back into i read pd james and then i don't know if you saw the chat you've seen the channel five series um so i love a good detective but it 
brilliant mm. series that Channel 5 have just done. So something like that, a really good detective piece like the P.D. James series is the sort of yep. top, top of my social reading. Um, I was, I've um, just dipped into a couple of new books. I've just bought the, one of the latest Pinch of Nom, which I've been, was dipping into yep. the weekend and for food a bit. And I always love a bit of Ottolenghi, you know. Mm. I know a, a cookbook is a great thing to have a read through, isn't it? And then yeah. a bit of travel because we're hoping, hoping mm-hmm. to go to, to Vancouver and have a look around, do some wine tasting and so on um, next year. So having a bit of a, having a dabble to work out early on planning. So a bit of, bit of everything good. really. Yeah. I, I love a good, good book fun. wherever. Yeah. 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 Good. If you could take three things, food or food equipment to a desert island, what would you have to take? I just thought about this and I decided definitely has to be a decent knife. Not bothered about the brand. Although I would, I, I don't know about you, but I like to try a knife before I buy. If I'm going to invest yes. a, a few squid in a decent knife, then I learned, I went to um, a shop once in New York many years ago and they taught you how to choose a knife. Who knew there was such That's a thing? Fantastic. And it was really, and I learned then about the balance and the way you hold a knife. Yes. And so what might be good for me isn't necessarily going to be good for you, even if you're just talking about a, a vegetable knife. Which is why such a variety of them. Yeah. So that was fascinating. So um, a knife that I perhaps is, is, is bespoke have to me. I've already tried. I've already tried yeah. and I know it's the right weight for me and it's, it's, going to, it's going to do the business, I think. So definitely a knife. A decent pan I can do pretty much anything in. And then because although I was a Queen's Guide, I would be rubbish at starting live fires. I would like a solar powered um, hob of some description, please. Brilliant. So That's a good one. Sorry, I don't. I like the sound of that. <laughs> so hopefully I might stand a halfway chance of not starving to death. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure you would. I know. Um, Marlena, who was on last week's podcast, couldn't make her mind up between different things and said, well, hopefully you'll come too. And if you bring your three. <laughs> That's very clever. <laughs> and I bring my three. And I thought, what a good idea. That sounds like, that sounds like Marlena. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I know. I know. It was um, it was good fun. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast and talking through some of the things that have happened to you so far in your career and just sharing with us your enthusiasm, which I knew was there already, but it's lovely just to to really hear it all come out. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode. Please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at Jane Milton Food. If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.